How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bo's Football Final here at KHON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello. Joining me, as always, we got former University of Hawaii player and coach Rich Miano. We got former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman R.J. Hollis. And fellas, despite a fight to the finish, the University of Hawaii football team has their losing streak extended to four games this past weekend with a 41-34 loss to Utah State. Rainbow Warriors now 2-9 and nine on the season, 1-5 in the Mountain West Conference, a game that the University of Hawaii put up more points, more yards than they have all season long, but it's the self-inflicted wounds that put them behind the eight ball for majority of this ball game and unable to climb out of that hole as time expired. So we have a lot to talk about here on Bo's football final, but before we start giving our thoughts and our opinions on this University of Hawaii football program, let's hear from the Rainbow Warriors themselves. This was in order, Timmy Chang, Braden Shager, Meki Pei, following the loss to Utah State. You can't make as many mistakes as we did uh, you know, offense, defense, special teams, and expect to win a game. If we're going to win games, we got to get better. It starts with me. And, um, and the message to them is everything matters. Everything they do on a 24-hour period every single day, it matters. And what they bring to the table and what the value they bring to the brotherhood matters. So um, painful loss. You know, feel for those boys. But they play their butts off, and um, I'm proud of them for that. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's they're all tough, but uh, yeah, this one's tough because just and I really I keep saying it every week, but it just feels like we're right there and we're just a few plays off, and it's just a few little things that we just gotta fix and clean up to to get better. But the hard part is we're running out of games to do that, so it's just gonna be a project. It's gonna be something we're gonna have to continue to work on throughout this off season and these next two two games is just continue to not shoot ourselves in the foot and just try to. Try to continue to play hard, but I'm really happy with, like Coach Chang said, just how how hard everybody played the whole game. And I mean, it felt like we were in it the whole time. So I mean, right now I feel like that's what we're playing for. You know, it's for them seniors. You know, we're not bowl eligible. Whatever, we're not gonna have a winning season anymore. And I mean, obviously that sucks. But you know, the seniors have two more games left. You know, and some might not even play a game of football or a day of practice anymore. You know, so I guess it's all for them pretty much. You know, I'm playing for especially the defensive guys, you know, I see them putting all the work, you know, putting all that time, you know, and I know it's rough for them to go through a season like this, but I play for both of them on offense and defense. Again, that was University of Hawaii head football coach Timmy Chang, quarterback Braden Shager, and defensive back Meki Pei following the University of Hawaii's 41-34 loss to Utah State. And guys, there's so much to talk about here from what happened at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex on Saturday. Uh, but before we start diving into the specifics of this ball game, Rich, if you could just provide your initial thoughts from this latest loss for the Rainbow Warriors, who are now riding a season-long four-game losing streak. Yeah, Rob, tough to swallow, but Hawaii showed when they attack offensively and defensively is when they are at this, its best, their best. A couple of blown coverages early, right? And they, but when they started blitzing late, that's when you saw the sacks, the tackles for losses. But the overall takeaway on defense is you still got to take the ball away. That's the biggest thing you can do defensively. Offensively, I thought Shaker made some great throws uh, that few quarterbacks in the Mountain West Conference can make, but he made two poor decisions. And I know he had three in interceptions, but two poor decisions, right? Dedrick Parsons played well, and so did Najee Bryant Lilly. Still would like to somehow get a weekend furlough for Tylen Hines because little stack needs to become big stack. You got to feed him more. Absolutely. Every time Tylen Hines touches the ball, something explosive happens. And uh, that we've talked about it last week on Bo's Football Final. We talked about it on the pregame show on the Spectrum Sports broadcast as far as getting number 24 more involved in the offense. And that continues to be a conversation here moving forward. RJ Hollis, uh, what were your biggest uh, takeaways and, and your initial thought from this game once the clock struck zero? Uh, I, I think it's going to be kind of a broken record takeaway of just this team is better than what the record is showing. This makes now their fourth loss in the Mountain West. That's by one possession or less. So that means you were in the game. It was just one mistake. It was just one possession. It was just one penalty too many that put you in this position to where now you know, even though you have two games left, you've kind of 
you kind of got to start looking in the next year. There's no bowl game in the future. This senior class has two more games that they know they will play. But other than that, it's not much to look forward to. And it's kind of unfortunate because if you take these four games and turn them into wins, if you take a few of the games and turn them into wins, you're talking about a completely different team. And I think right now the record doesn't show the talent that they have, both in their senior class and what they will have returning. But we'll probably get into that a little bit later. But uh, just very unfortunate for them to be so close, so many games and not come out with a victory. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that because and this is to, to no disrespect. But when, when I look at this football team, what doesn't jump out to me is how talented they are. What jumps out to me is how hard they fight. Right. This is a team that I think over exceeds their expectations as far as what they're capable of based on how, how hard they fight, based on this team staying together here this season. Uh, and, and it showed in that 41-34 loss where it felt like the entire game Utah State was in control. But then you kept looking at the scoreboard, you kept looking at the clock and being like, now, if they get a stop right here and get this ball back and are able to do something. And this is a completely different ball game. And what continued to happen was the defense made a stop, but the offense would give the ball back. And then the offense would always be two steps behind. So when they start moving, it's because there were two or three possessions down. Uh, when the defense was playing at its best, it was when they were within a possession or, or within striking distance. So it's getting these team, getting this team to be able to operate at that same level throughout the entire game, or at least at the same time, because then you'd get better results. But as I mentioned at the top of the show, this University of Hawaii football team scored 34 points. That was the most points that they have scored this season. They put up over 500 yards of offense as Braden Shager throws for 306 yards. You have Diedrich Parson running for 103, Tylen Hines running for 99, a combined rushing effort of 235 yards, but then you look at the self-inflicted wounds, 115 yards in penalties, four turnovers while not being able to force a turnover yourself. And then you look at the third down conversion numbers where, I mean, those are the big numbers when you look at the end of a game, uh, penalties, turnovers, third down conversions. If you're losing that battle, you are losing the football game 99% of the time and the Rainbow Warriors uh, end up going five, four of 14 from third down conversion. And so, Rich Miano, when you look at the whole picture of this game, and as I mentioned, I mean, th there is a lot of success for this UH football team, but overwhelmed by the mistakes. And when you are this late into the season, 11 games in, that must be extremely frustrating for a coaching staff. Yeah, bro, but the frustrating part is they're not a highly penalized team. Utah State is. They haven't been turning the ball over offensively with three interceptions, but they did last night. They've taken the ball away okay on defense in past games, but they didn't last night. So to me, I give Timmy and this coaching staff a lot of credit because there is no quitting them, and they never do give up, and they're not the most talented team in the Mountain West Conference. The saddest part of this is, you create your own Manoa magic, right? And it rained and there were rainbows, but Israel is not singing somewhere over the rainbow, or at least this team is not getting their athletic justice. The bounces are not going their way, but you're right, Rob, if you eliminated penalties last night, if you took the ball away on defense, if you did not throw three interceptions, you got a victory over an impressive Utah State team. I was impressed by the way that quarterback threw the ball because I knew he could run the ball and they were a running team. But, man, that was a good football team. And Hawaii came this close, but yet they're still so far away. Yeah, RJ, when, when you start thinking about the mistakes that were made in that game, and as Rich talked about, I mean, you take away, let's say, one of those interceptions. Let's say you take away – a missed tackle on third and long in the first half, which could have shaped this game differently. Uh, you know, some of those, you could just pick apart uh, just a few of those plays, and then you relook at how things played out, and the University of Hawaii is in this game. 
it, when you're this late into the season, is that something that the players can look at and be like, oh, we are that close? Or do you think that as the season goes on and you get later and later and you continue, like you said, broken record to say, oh, if this and this just didn't happen, then we'd be in it. Uh, you, you know, how, how demoralizing could that be for a team running out of the tunnel the next week? Uh, I think it could be huge um, for, you know, just taking away what, these guys have to fight for. This is a physical and passionate sport. So you need some sort of mojo and some sort of, you know, energy to get you just to go to practice every day. And it's one thing to have, you know, one close loss or two close losses. You know, even if you have three of these four losses, you won. Even if you lost last night, you still got two more games. And in that potential, there could be a seven and five or seven and six season. Therefore, it can make you both eligible. Just having the victories changes the entirety of what this season's about. But now that they're losses, now that you're looking at two and nine, now that there's really, you know, nothing left to fight for in this season, I think it's very hard to be like, oh, we were that close. Oh, we were that close. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing else you can do to rectify that for this season. If you could, then you could have a little bit more energy and like, hey, we competed in a lot of games. Some we won, some we lost. But with the amount of losses you've taken in this close games, I think it's just really starting to demoralize a lot of these guys. But this team has a lot of fight, Rob, like you mentioned. So I think they'll still come out these next two weeks uh, guns blazing, trying to go out with their best effort. One thing that I think a lot of people were uh, very eager to see, and we talked about this all season long here on BFF, is that this is a team that just has not been able to show that they can overcome the mistakes, right? That it, when something bad happens, uh, they very, very rarely are able to dig themselves out. And so we've seen it time and time again where a drive is moving, you get one drop pass, and then it stalls, right? Everything after that becomes an issue, and you got to punt the ball away, uh, talking about the offense, right? Uh, you are moving the ball, you get a penalty, and that backs them up, and they aren't able to get out of that. Very rarely this time, this season have you been able to see them overcome those in-drive hurdles you saw it on Saturday night, though, where it was in the second half. Braden Shager throws a dime uh, on a on a slant to uh, Caleb Phillips, and it goes through his arms. And uh, in, in the broadcast, I remember Rich uh, saying that like, hey, a little bit of a case of the alligator arms. There, there was a defender coming and didn't fully extend to get it. Went right through his hands. And then you kind of get the sense of like, oh, well, that's that moment that that we are all familiar with that. Hey, it stops the drive. They're moving. And then on fourth down, the very next play, Braden Shager throws an over the shoulder catch to Phillips, who catches it in the end zone. That's one of the first times this season that we've seen them overcome that kind of adversity, that self-inflicted wound adversity. And uh, it was it was a bright spot from that game and just one of those little minor victories as far as like, OK, They've done it once here now. Let's see if they could do it moving forward. Uh, but the aforementioned Braden Shager at quarterback goes 23 of 46, 306 yards passing, two touchdowns, three costly interceptions. He was sacked twice. His primary target in this game uh, was shared. Zion Bowens and Jonah Panoke, each with five catches. Bowens goes for 97 yards. Panoke goes for 70 yards and the first collegiate touchdown of his career, which is very nice to see after he returns from eight weeks off uh, because of a collarbone injury. And so, Rich, I want to ask you first about Braden Shager and his performance on Saturday night, where it appeared that this was a guy, like you mentioned, uh, who had some phenomenal throws, had, probably in places and in uh, in styles that can only be done by number 13 here in the Mountain West Conference. They were that good, but then moments that were poor decisions that were, uh, you know, stacked on top of each other because this is a guy that starts 11 to 13 for the game and then goes one for his next 10 after that heading into halftime. Your overall assessment of Braden Shager on Saturday. You know, Rob, and you, you bring up some good points, right? And if you, not just the Caleb Phillips drop, but there was probably seven or eight drops. So say even in the National Football League, just cut that in half. And I'm sure Jarrett Ursua, the receiver coach, would like to at least cut that in half, right? Then you're talking about a much better completion percentage. You just talked about touch throws, 
corner routes, seam routes, fade routes, dropping dimes that very few people. I mean, it was just an impressive aerial assault. But he made two poor decisions where you got to take the sack, even though it's going to be third and long, or you're going to have to punt the ball. You got to throw it out of bounds, right? And that's where all the reps earlier in the season, that's where all the coaching could have come in. The kid's still a sophomore, right? But then even the interception, let's get technical on that. If that receiver comes back to the football, that's a deep out, right? And it's a great play by the DB. I'm not sure that's a faulty throw. It was the other two decisions, right? So when you look at the body of work, you go like, man, we got to keep coaching this guy up because if he shows this tape, to anybody in the Mountain West and maybe even the Pac-12, he got to get a little bit more fleet of foot. But he does stay in that pocket. He does climb that pocket. He does slide to his right well. He does so many things well that I'm sure Ian Shoemaker and Timmy Chang are going like, this kid's so close to being great, not good. R.J. Hollis, your thoughts on Braden Shager after what Rich just said? Uh yeah, I kind of I'm I'm agreeing with what he's saying, you know, and I think this is a game where you kind of seen Braden Shager start to develop a little bit more. A lot of those reps did start to come in. This is his first game all season where he's thrown for 300 yards or more. Only his second game where he's had two passing touchdowns. So there is improvement coming. You know, you did see the interceptions. You did see that pick six late, which was very demoralizing, but he did make some great passes. I think the touchdown pass to Jonah Pinoke, especially when you look at it from the spectrum end zone angle of kind of how he saw it, that was a really good pass right over those defenders, right to Jonah Pinoke. So, you know, he's showing some improvement. You can look at it as a statistics and how earlier in the season he had a four interception, no touchdown game. And now he has a two-touchdown game, over 300 yards passing, and he's second in the Mountain West to only Chevin Cordero in passing yards. So, I mean, obviously you want the interceptions to go down, you want the touchdowns to go up, but when you look at him in the you know press conference, you can see this is a kid. You know, we've seen Cole McDonald develop, we've seen Chevin Cordero, Chevin uh, Cordero, excuse me, develop to where we started seeing him go from their high school children bodies to their man bodies and i feel like one more two more off seasons of Braden shager learning under timmy chang and getting into that man body and getting more confidence we'll start to see a lot more 300 yard passing games and hopefully with a lot less interceptions yeah and Braden shager just a sophomore here for the university of hawaii football team so a younger football player on a team that was on a rebuilding process here. Uh, I, I know we've had um, discussions in the past as far as like, okay, what's a young team? What's an old team? What's a veteran team? Uh, can you have a young team and still have a bunch of seniors? That's what the, the Rainbow Warriors are looking at right now. And, you know, we talked about the, the answer is absolutely yes, because most of your veteran players are first time starters or weren't expected to be starters here. Uh, if you were having this conversation at this time last year. And so therefore, a uh, young team based on experience. So Braden Shaker definitely plays into that. Also, Tylen Hines at running back who goes for nine carries for 99 yards. Uh, he had a long, uh, or excuse me, 97 yards because he had a two-yard loss. Uh, he had a long of 69, which almost added to the melt of miscues for this University of OYU football team because he appeared to have dropped the football as he is about to cross the end zone. And so uh, Jordan Helley said it on uh, Spectrum Sports that that's the perfect teachable moment because you made a mistake. It's on film. You could show it to him and say, hey, this is a mistake. Don't ever do that again. But you weren't penalized for it. So therefore, it's the perfect learning experience. You don't have to learn the hard way on that one. Um, but when you look at Tylen Hines and what he's been able to do this season, this is through... To this point of the season, through his first 50 carries on the season, he's averaging 8.6 yards per carry, right? And that's a that's a bigger sample size now. That's not just, hey, th he had a good game and it was 8 yards per carry. This is on the season, 8.6 yards per attempt. Then you look at him as a receiver and it's 9.8 yards per catch. Every time, I mean, it's not exaggeration when rich miano says that every time this guy gets the ball something good happens it's mind-boggling when you think about 
as far as what he's been able to do in, in so few amount of touches. And keep in mind, Diedrich Parson is having a phenomenal season himself. Really, I mean, those are the two best offensive players you have on this football team is Parson and Hines. And so, therefore, you don't want to take the ball out of Parson hands. But with that being said, it seems clear that this UH offense needs to get a little more creative in making sure that you can have not only both those guys on the field at the same time, but both those guys matching the amount of touches that the other has. Yeah, Rob, and, and you wouldn't be able to do that if he didn't have good hands, right? So he started off as a receiver. I question both Timmy Chang and Ian Shoemaker on, is there a pitch count? Are we going to get this guy a certain amount of touches? And, you know, they both come back with what we all believe in, that Diedrich Parsons does everything well. He's a senior. He's a leader. He's a captain. All of those things are true. But how do you not go like, I love Kowali Nishigaya, but he's been hurt. Your leading receiver coming into this game was last chance you who didn't even play in this game. I would put that dude in the slot. I would get him in the backfield. I'd get him screens. I would get him jet sweeps. I would get him touches. And that was my keys to the game, right? And at the end of the game, we still get around 10 touches. Uh, as a kickoff returner, as a punt returner, and those things are difficult, especially returning punts. But I don't know how you don't get – and I had my theory, right? And I'm not a conspiracist. But maybe they don't want him to get 20 carries because if he gets 185 yards a week, he's going to freaking Texas. I don't know. Let's get some NIL money. Let's raise some money to keep this kid here because he is the building block of the future. It's so funny that you say that because I was about to ask RJ about the long-term future of uh, Tylen Hines with the Rainbow Warriors and how they're going to build around this guy. And if you do that, if you build around this player, that he is that good of a talent that he can lead you places but then you said what you just said, and, and it reminds me of a conversation that I had with someone at the game, right? And I believe it was about the third quarter, and I'm walking from one side of the field to the other, and, and a UH football fan, very nice man, comes up to me and says good things, and uh, was very uh, generous and kind in his words. Uh, but then it was funny because what he said, he goes, man, Shager, Shager is uh, good, and uh, you know he just needs to get uh, you know a little more experience, uh, but I really think he could be good. Man, I hope he doesn't leave the program. And he's like, oh, and Tylen Hines. God, I love Tylen Hines. Oh, man, I really hope he doesn't transfer. And I'm like, dude, the University of Hawaii fan base has PTSD at this point because anytime <laughs> anyone does anything good, it's like, oh, awesome. That was a great touchdown. Please don't leave us, right, because of what happened here this past season. And that's a real thought, right? RJ, can you wrap your mind around? I mean, this obviously the transfer portal and all that is new to college football, but can – You've been on teams that struggled with with select players having good seasons. And that was never the thought process, right? Of like, oh, let's not let this guy get too much playing time because then he might leave us. I mean, this is crazy, isn't it? Yo, oh, yeah, most definitely. And, you know, that's kind of what the NIL created. That's what the transfer portal created. It created free agency in college. And when you show talent early, I mean, that's as beneficial as showing great talent at the end of your high school career. And people know you got years of eligibility left. I mean, man, I tweeted it out actually right after the game that Tylen Hines needs to be protected at all costs because you look at that last touchdown he had, it's not like he's just, you know, oh, he ran it in. It was a good – this dude took off. I mean, Y-I-E-R-M. Yeah. He was out of the gate. And, I mean, the lemon pepper steppers. And now that we're in Hawaii, I'm going to call it the chili pepper steppers because he had the red, you know, little spat around his feet. But when you can create that much separation on an inside run and take off and not be caught – there's not going to be many Pac-12 teams. And even like Rich said, you start talking with that type of separation as a freshman. Oh, if I'm Texas, if I'm a team like Texas A&M or Tennessee or somebody that needs talent that's young that I could put in that's had that college experience, why not go get them? So if I'm the Hawaii football staff, if I'm a Hawaii football booster, you know, not to say that this should be done because I don't know the legalities of it yet, but. Tylen Hines might need some envelopes in his locker. I'm just saying, you know, there might need to be a car in front of his apartment that just has keys on it and <laughs> nobody knows how it got there. Now, I'm not saying you got to go that deep, but to think that this guy's a freshman, give him three more years of, like I said, with Braden Shager getting bigger, faster, stronger, 
and becoming a leader of this team so then the next generation of running backs want to run like Tylen Hines runs? Man, if I'm Timmy Chang, I got to make sure that 24 is a part of my future. And if you want to become two or come four or single digit, zero, whatever, let them have the numbers and let's get some envelopes to uh, Tyler Hines. Just well, so. I think you've already done the legwork because, I mean, with the chili pepper step, I mean, I'm pretty sure that there's a, a chili pepper water. Uh, hey, we somebody book it right now. That. I just need I need a little percentage if you do use chili pepper step, but just get the rest of Tyler Hines and that could be my contribution because, hey. As a freshman, I showed my wife that highlight. And I just, I was showing her from about five or 10 feet away. She could barely see my phone. But what she saw was the separation. And I saw it in her eyes. She understands barely anything about football, even though I'm an analyst. She's seen the moment where Tylen Hines created that separation. And it made her eyes get big. When you got that kind of talent in this free agency college football era, as sad as it is to say, you got to find a way to hold on to it. And just so I'm clear, how do you spell that yerm again? How was that? Y-I-E-R-M. Yerm. Y-I-E-R-M. Yerm. Out of the gate. Big. That was, yeah, that's speed right there. Love the sound effects. Love it. Gotta love it. And we, that, that's, that's, uh, that's CGI right there. I mean, that's a, that's a kind of, uh, production value we got here in Bose football final that wasn't even rj making that sound we paid for that so yeah that, I, I got it right out of that yeah world. that's like the harley davidson you know noise that you can, the motorcycle makes that stuff that's already trademarked <laughs> all right so let's talk a little bit about this defense uh mecky pay a, a guy that has missed the last three games we've talked about on this show as far as the importance of him being on the football field and when you look at what this University of Hawaii football team was able to do defensively when he's on the field as opposed to when he is not on the field. And you saw that even within the game of Utah State where it appeared that the Rainbow Warriors are trying to ease him back onto the field. And so he'd come in for a play, he'd sit for a few. And when he wasn't on the field, Utah State was exploding for, for yardage in that first half and exploding on a long touchdown and, and, and third down conversions. And uh, towards the end of the game, you saw Mecky Page just stay on the football field. And I think the Rainbow Warriors benefited from that. But he ends up finishing the game with uh, a, tackle, a tackle and a half for loss, a sack and a half for loss to go along with eight tackles in the game. Logan Taylor does what Logan Taylor does, and that's put together double-digit tackle efforts, 13 tackles for him. Peter Monomal with nine tackles. Uh, Rich, you, you touched up on it earlier in the show as far as defensively that this team was at its best when they kind of, you know, pinned their ears back and it was going after the quarterback. Um, but when you look at this defense and where they've evolved to right now, uh, how do you feel about this defense here? Yeah, well, you know, and I mentioned earlier, there's some lapses with eyes, with responsibility, right, that resulted in big plays, right? But once they started to pin their ears back and they started to bring Mecky Pay, part of that blitz package, reminded me a little bit of last year, uh, of that attacking style of defense. So I thought, you know, and Andrew Choi had his best game. I thought Jonah Kahavai Welch had his best series and maybe his best game as well. Malik Hausman is a player, but you're right, Rob. When you get two safeties, Peter Manu Ma, and you got Mecky Pay communicating with the linebackers, the linebackers communicating with the fronts, rotating up to that, you know, one high eight man front, seven man front, depending upon personnel, blitzing off the edge, coming in that double A gap blitz. You know, I think that Jacob Euro kind of grew as a defensive coordinator to late in that game because he felt confident with those two safeties doing what they're supposed to do, tackling people, blitzing, you know, coming off the edge, dropping back into coverage, playing that robber in that, you know, that uh, Tampa two style of defense. Mecky pays a difference maker, man. You can't argue that. They're, they're a much better defense when Mecky and Peter are in there together. That third level is much more secure. Uh, let's go to the Bose football final mailbox real quickly. And, and we have a lot more to talk about here with this University of Hawaii football team. But wanted to make sure that we got to this. Much mahalo to everybody who sent in their questions to social media at Rob DeMello on Instagram, at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N on Twitter, Rob DeMello on Facebook. And of course, I got some emails, rdemello at K-H-O-N2.com. The first question comes from Felix who says, it seems to me that the end zone opposite of Murakami Stadium gives problems for punt returners. Why attempt to field it there at this point? And 
that's that's a keen observation by Felix. And in fact, it was Diedrich Parson had a drop punt or a muff punt, and it was in that end zone that's opposite of Les Murakami Stadium. And I turned to Jordan Helly at that moment and I said, like, dude, they gotta they gotta stop trying to catch punt there because it doesn't even matter what team. It's not just the University of Hawaii. Even opposing teams have been struggling on that side of the field. Uh, so, uh, Rich, I, I see you uh, wanting to jump in on this. Uh, your thoughts on that? I mean, is there any truth to that, that it could just be a, a, a sight issue, uh, the, the way that the lights are positioned in, in that area, that you should probably just let that thing go? Rob, I'm not sure you listen to my broadcast as you're walking around in the middle of the first and second quarter and third and fourth quarter, but I discussed this. There's the mailbox conspiracy with the K Alohas that it's a phenomenal book. But the Miano conspiracies, there were two of them last night. One is the lighting, and I talked about that last year. I've seen more receivers drop high trajectory throws, punts muff, kickoffs muff. And my theory is when you retrofitted TC Ching, the illumination is not Division I quality. It's almost high school quality. And therefore, as a home team, you got to practice at nighttime. You got to play under those lights. You got to catch punts and, and deep throws and all that stuff because the amount of drops that go on in that stadium, my conspiracy book is hasn't come out yet, but when it does, it's going to be a bestseller, bro. RJ Hollis, your thoughts on that? And do you have a book in the works as well? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a book, but I am going to be the first one to read uh, OG Miano's conspiracy book. I will be the first uh, paying customer, but yeah. I think he just hit it on the head. It was retrofitted. It was a kind of last second, last stitch effort to get a stadium together when Aloha Stadium was condemned. I don't think, you know, the ideas of where the lighting would go and how that would affect play came into the, you know, construction and planning of this. So I think once they get to renovating it and redoing it, some lights might be moved to help it out. But yeah, no, that that's uh, it actually was a very good com uh notice as you read it i was kind of thinking like dang a lot of those drops do be like in the exact same spot so i think that's something that will be looked at heavily in the off season yeah and like i said i mean and it goes for both teams it's not like it's just uh and, and really that left to right uh from the press box uh, starting les murakami stadium side going towards the parking structure i mean i off the top of my head i remember a san jose state game last year where the Spartans were dropping a ton of passes on on, on continuous drives. And, uh, yeah, Rich, what's that? And, and the Portland State game, that receiver yeah. was running that bubble screen and running some – they dropped more balls. And I'm going, like, it's got to be the lighting. These are shorthanded receivers. Balls right in their hands. They're losing it somewhere in the darkness. Yeah, and, and it could be interesting, too, because, you know, the when you think about it, and obviously, you know, I, I haven't – stood on the field under the lights at that time, right? I'm I'm in the end zone, I'm on the sidelines, and then more so on the field during the day because, you know, I'm not going to walk on the field in the, in the middle of a football game. Um, but, you know, I also wonder, too, if it's the, you know, you think about collegiate stadiums and most Division One stadiums at this point, you know, it goes up much higher. And so the lights are coming from a different place, right, than, than that mid-level of where the lights are based on the Ching complex. And then you also got to remember is that, Beyond that, it's darkness, right? I mean, it's not like you are at a lower part of the land and so you got high rises, you got buildings, you know, in that direction, that's Diamond Head. There's nothing. And it's not like there's lights on Diamond Head either, right? There's no uh, telescope on Diamond Head that a lot of people would be happy about. And, and you know, things that, 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 that are going to catch your attention at all. I mean, you're just looking at darkness and a brown football up in the air. I have to imagine that, that there's issues there. Hey, Rob, you know, and I don't want to give away too much of my book because when that thing comes out <laughs> on Amazon and all these other things, you know, besides my family, I want other people to buy it too, right? But so what happens is you look at any parking lot in Hawaii or in America, you look at any road in America, what happens when you retrofit lights and that stadium was totally retrofitted, you're talking about saving energy. You're talking about different types of illumination, you know, and I'll guarantee you, like you mentioned, any Division One stadium in America, the lights are higher and there's way more lights. You look up there and you go like, this thing is lacking lighting and it should be an advantage for the University of Hawaii because they get to practice there at nighttime. 
No, well, you got your book of conspiracies. I have a book of things that are just depressing to think about as far as what the University of Hawaii does not have and the support that they do not have from this state. I'm going to add that one. Uh, that's a new chapter as far as the lighting goes uh, at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. All right, the next question comes from Bronson, who says, I agree with Coach Miano. All right, we're going to stop it there. Right? Just Everyone agrees with Coach Miano. I know that's what Rich wants to hear. So, no, I agree with Coach Miano that Shager has the talent and can be very good as he becomes a better decision maker. But can you ever remember a UH quarterback that struggled at the start of his career, but eventually turned it around the next season? And so, um, I yeah, there's been a bunch, right? Nick Rolovich, <laughs> Timmy Chang, uh, yeah. Bryant Moniz, Sean Schroeder. Uh, there's been a bunch of guys that in the beginning of their careers, you said to yourself, like, oof, this is getting ugly. I mean, you got to remember Nick Rolovich lost to Portland State in his first start, right? Uh, uh, Sean Schroeder had horrible games and just week after week and over spanning years, uh, multiple seasons, but then at the end of his career was able to turn around. I know that for Bronson to ask his question, he's hoping that uh, the Braden Shager issues get turned around before the final few games of his career, like a Sean Schroeder. But I think Brian Muniz is another one that you could look at him and, and say, hey, that 2009 season when he came in earlier than he was supposed to, much like Braden Shager, who should still have been a backup to Shevin Cordero at this point. Uh, he struggled in that first season. And then in 2010, after all that time of working with the offense, of taking his licks, of having that full offseason, he was able to lock in and find success. Is that going to happen with Braden Shager? We do not know. But what we have identified is that there are some skills that Braden Shager possesses that will make him a very, very good quarterback. Rich, in your history of University of Hawaii football, to help Bronson out, can you remember situations like this? Can you compare what Braden Shager is going through with anybody else? Well, Rob, I think you just did a great job, and I'm sure RG is going to have some names. I'm an NFL guy, right? So Joe Burrow and, and the success of Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert in their you know rookie gestation part of their careers has been an injustice to most quarterbacks. Look at Tua. Tua is probably an MVP right now, but he struggled early in his career, as most young guys do. I'm not sure a quarterback has faced more adversity than Braden Shager. Less talent, uh, finding offensive identity. Uh, starting to run and shoot in week five on a bye week or whatever that was, you know? So, and then you look at young talent that's surrounding himself, Jonah Pinocchi getting injured, whatever else. There's been this guy. And I know I listened to call the coach. Unfortunately, after the game, I, I hear the pundits out there. They look at the stat line with the three interceptions, bro. Ian Shoemaker said it best. There's reason why two four-star guys are sitting on the bench and this guy is playing. They see him every day. I just wish they would have seen him earlier and got all those reps. But you know what? I, I've been accused of a quarterback apologist. People said the same thing about me and Shevin Cadero last year, and he's probably a candidate for Mountain West Conference Player of the Year. Hey, bro, you can take what I say. Uh, you can just don't have to take it. Hey, you don't have to buy the book, right? Yeah, yeah. The book, the book's going to be big. Yeah. And Rich Miano, uh, might I add, the only defensive back in the history of the world to be accused of being a quarterback apologist. That's true. Right? It never happened before. So once again, Rich Miano is breaking down barriers. Uh, RJ Hollis, uh, your thoughts on Braden Shager, and do you think that he could, he's the kind of player that could be added to that list of players that struggled to start their UH career and ended up leading the Rainbow Warriors or Warriors or Rainbows or whoever they were at that time to success. Did we lose RJ? Did his RJ Hollis is he is he is so overwhelmed by the He's question the that was just store. asked. Oh, wait, store, I forgot bro. to unmute it. My bad. <laughs> I forgot to, I forgot Dude, to unmute you know myself. What? I know you were fired too, bro. No. Good luck trying to recreate that. No, no. Yeah. So, um, yeah, not just with like quarterbacks, though, but in, you know, a natural collegiate football player progression or really anything. You know, I remember starting out being an analyst and getting on TV and being nervous. And, you know, now sometimes it's just like, OK, let's hurry up and get it over with. You talk about players like, uh, you know, Marcus Kemp, who started off as a, uh, you know, useful receiver and had to figure some things out. And by the time he was a senior. He was one of the best receivers in the conference. Diosomy St. Just, you know, splitting playing time with uh, 
Stephen Lakalaka and playing behind Joey Eosefa. And by the time he leaves, he sets the single season rushing record. So, you know, I think in a natural progression of a college football player's career, you're going to get better over time. But like I said earlier with Braden Shager, this was his first 300-yard passing game this entire season. He hasn't done it. So this is his second two-touchdown passing game this season. So there's natural progression that's being shown. But, you know, given off-seasons, given chances to grow and knowing the maturity that he's got, you know, Ian Shoemaker said a lot when he said there's a reason two four-stars are sitting on the bench. I didn't even think about that, but that's very true. So having a kid that's showing this type of potential – is always a great thing, but, you know, that natural progression, I don't expect Braden Shager to not get better, and with what he's showing now, with some of the passes he can make, with some of the passes that he has made, he's going to be, you know, one of the better quarterbacks of UH history, but there's still been a lot of good quarterbacks in this university, so he has a, a lot of people to try and beat out. We shall see, and uh, for those that have PTSD and are always afraid of guys transferring out of the program, uh, just cross your fingers and hope that we get to see the evolution of Braden Shager here at the University of Hawaii. All right, last question coming from Chad D, who says, Mahalo three R's, which it's only hit me now that all of our names start with R's. <laughs> when I first read it, I was like, well, who's the three R's? Okay, I got it now. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I like that. But Chad D says, Mahalo three R's for doing this podcast. I'm thinking that as the losses pile up and bandwagon fans leave, that y'all are going to pull the plug on this. Uh, let me be the first to say that is not going to happen. All right? I mean, we do this because we feel the need, right, that there is a need for University of Hawaii football coverage. And so whether the team's winning or losing, I mean, Bo's football final is going to be here. And, you know, I mean, shoot, this would have happened a long time ago. I mean, I, I know we've, we've only started Bo's football final, I think, in the 2018 season, if I remember correctly, or 2019 season. Um, but, I mean, you go back to, you know, I, me being at Spectrum Sports, right? I started doing that in 2011. I, I don't have to do that. I have a full-time job that keeps me more than enough busy. Um, but it, it's doing it to uh, to to serve a purpose, right? To 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 be able to, um, you know, it's like the my grandpa always told me: if you want something done right, you do it yourself. And, and so it's kind of one of those things that hey, it, I, I want to be able to um, provide that work to University of Hawaii football broadcast. And the same thing with Bose football final, right? So it doesn't matter if there's wins or losses. If it was wins or losses, then, I mean, think about it. 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15. I would have left a long time ago of doing that extra work. So this extra work is nothing. And so uh, that's just my thought. Obviously, uh, Rich Miano, RJ Hollis, I want to hear what you guys have to say uh, about that. Rich, uh, did wins and losses, is that what keeps you uh, going BFF? No, and you know, you know, our three million listeners out there, and the fact that I get <laughs> this six-figure check, you know, it, it's nice to be able to, you know, travel with some of the income we generate off this show. Only kidding, people. We don't. I don't make a penny. We do this for the love. We do this because we want to promote the University of Hawaii football. We want to be real. You know, we don't want to be just, you know, everything's sugarcoat everything. But we want to be a voice that realizes that. Hey, we need a new stadium. Hey, these players deserve good apparel contracts and, and nutrition and everything else. We know what Division One athletics is like, and we want to educate the public about not only football, but really athletics at the University of Hawaii and the love we have. We all bleed green. And the three R thing, man, I'm getting some CTE money for that because I didn't understand that either. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and and yeah, it should be noted that um, yeah, we we don't make any money off of this show. We don't get paid for doing this. It's uh, it's on the KHON platform, right? And obviously, it's KHON2.com. Uh, we're able to listen to this along with the other pl podcast platforms. But this is yeah, this is purely uh, on the side, nothing to do with uh, anything uh, outside of. Uh, just covering University of Hawaii football and giving University of Hawaii football fans something to listen to and something to get them ready for the next week and think about the last week here uh, within this season. Uh, RJ Hollis, uh, your thoughts on stepping away from Bo's football final because the Rainbow Warriors are two and nine? Uh, I, I would have to say that, you know, first of all, Nobody talked about my contract extension. I get a little bit under the table. So, you know, I hate, 
I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I don't get anything either. But uh, I, I think for me, it's it's always just, you know, the love of the sport, the love of, of the university. And more than that, you know, the one thing that I did pick out in that question is that he said, you know, bandwagon fans will leave. I feel like bandwagon fans have been gone for so long that most people only remember Colt Brennan and, you know, those days because that was a lot of the bandwagon fans that were here last. There's been a lot of losing seasons. There's been a lot of, you know, bad news for the University of Hawaii football team. But, you know, like Rich said, we're, we're the people that got to educate, that got to be the voice for the team, that got to explain what needs to be done. And we got a different lens. You know, you guys being here for the years that you have been, me being here and just having the different experiences I've had with the University of Hawaii, you know, I would never leave BFF. I'd never leave a brick house. And even if I do, you know, go elsewhere or, you know, move or whatever, I, I Zoom call is something I could do on the computer. So no matter where I'm at, I'll always be talking about, I'll always be watching, and I'll always be analyzing the University of Hawaii football team. Yeah, man. The BFF is for life, man. It's in the title, man. It it it, it, it has double meaning. Bose football final and best friends forever. Best forever. RJ Hollis and Robbie D right there. But hey, guys, we, we got to wrap this thing up, up pretty soon. But um, I just wanted to give you guys a, an opportunity to talk about this upcoming game against UNLV. One thing to keep in mind is that all of the rivalry trophies that the University of Hawaii plays for, they are currently not in possession of, right? So that trophy case in the office that has the rivalry trophies is empty you don't have it air force wyoming san jose state unlv they're all residing on the continental united states right now this is an opportunity against unlv to get one of those back while at the same time spoiling a west division rivals chances of going to a bowl game which if you remember last year unlv that loss in las vegas was the turning point. I mean, that loss and this program was never the same. And who knows what would have happened if they would have won that game, like a lot of people anticipated them to. And they ended up beating Colorado State in Wyoming. And you wouldn't have backdoored your way into a bowl game. You would have earned that bowl game on Selection Sunday and all of that that goes into play, right? And so this is a big game. I think for guys that are on this football team who remember what it felt like to lose, to be upset, to be embarrassed in Las Vegas last season. Then you add to it, it being senior night. And Rich Miano has, has said this many, many times. Timmy Chang has said it many, many times that the seniors on this team deserve a lot of credit because they could have gone with everybody else. And most of the seniors made a collective effort as far as saying like, nah. No, we're, we're staying right here. We're going to see this thing through and we're going to be a part of the building blocks of this program moving forward. And uh, the underclassmen seem to understand that. How big is this game, Rich Miano, uh, against UNLV? I mean, it, it, to me, it feels like it's about as big of a game as one can be for a team that is guaranteed a losing season, no conference title and no bowl game. Yeah, and I'm going to show my age here, Rob, but I go back to the inaugural, the, the initiator of Senior Walk, Blaine Geisen, the director of the ILH football, who was my teammate. I got to watch that. And you talk about one of the most special celebrations in college football, and obviously I got to be a part of that in 1985, again, showing my age. And I know RJ's been through that already. But by playing the ninth island, right, you have that natural rivalry. You, you know, Marcus Arroyo is doing a good job building that program up. You have Cameron Frills, the backup quarterback. You got some other guys on the roster. But this means more to Hawaii people. I don't know what the in-game stuff is going to be in terms of entertainment. But you're playing UNLV. And to me, there's got to be something special about that. The last home game for these seniors, senior walk. Everything, bro. I was been looking forward to these last two games of the season since the start of the season because I knew UNLV was building. I knew San Jose State had Chevin Cadero, and I also knew that Hawaii was going to become a better football team. And after this past game, even though they lost and there's no moral victory, man, the way they were attacking at the end, the way that they were moving the football, the way they never quit, man, I'm still fired up for these last two games, even though they haven't won. Man, I like the fact that these dudes just got to make that play. RJ Hollis, you fired up along with Rich Miano? Oh, uh, yeah, man. Always, you know me, I'm always fired up. I stay fired up. But, you know, I think you can pull importance out of 
both of these games. And I think that's the biggest thing to be fired up about. One, you know, getting a rivalry trophy back. Two, it being your last home game for a lot of these seniors. And three, you have to play San Jose State next, which has former starting quarterback Shevin Cordero. So there's still plenty of importance in these last two games. And I think that's something for this senior class to be excited about. You know, it could just be done where there's no rivalry trophy. There's no reason to play at all. But you do still have a little reason to fight. And I think you got to take that and, you know, just run with it. And another thing is, you know, inspiring the guys that are coming back next year. I remember 2015 being a junior and watching, you know, Naquan Phillips and Teke Williams and Ben Clark take their senior walk. And the relationship I created with them and seeing what they had gone through through their careers as great of players as they were and how it ended for them, it inspired me a lot to become the most inspirational player the following year in 2016 and fight like we did. So I think that's the biggest thing for this senior class for these next two games is give motivation to the guys after you. Don't let them think that they'll go out like you did or don't make them think that this is all for naught. You know, enjoy this till the very last second, till the very last moment, because no matter what happens, these memories, these games, and what you did here will follow you for the rest of your life. Awesome stuff. Well, the University of Hawaii football team will take on UNLV on Saturday. Kickoff is set for 6 p.m. Again, it is senior night. And something cool that the Rainbow Warrior marketing department has put together is that it's Aloha night for senior night. So they're asking fans to show up in your Aloha attire. So brothers, wear your Aloha shirt. Wahine, wear your your Aloha dresses and, and, and really give this senior class that feel of this being a special night uh, by uh, being able to celebrate here with Lei at the end of the game. And, and hopefully uh, for the Rainbow Warrior football team, it is with a victory, but we shall see what happens. No matter what happens, we will be here on Monday for Bo's football final to talk about senior night and to talk about what will be the regular season finale or season finale, I should say, at San Jose State the following week. But much mahalo to everybody for listening, for sending in your questions, and for supporting Bo's football final. For Rich Miano, RJ Hollis, I'm Rob DeMello. Have a great week. Take care of yourselves. Aloha. <laughs>